0: to the gospel according to Luke chapter 9. Gospel of Luke chapter 9. You've got a copy of scripture there in front of you. If you're at home listening to this, uh, or, um, or somewhere else, maybe in a hotel room, um, go ahead and get a Bible. Look at it with me. Put eyes on this unbelievable story that we're going to see today. This being Transfiguration Sunday. You see that our... Uh, pyramids are white today because of this event that happened in history that Peter, James, and John are going to witness. So witness it with me today as we look here into God's word starting uh, with verse 28. Notice these words and if you would stand with me as as our custom for the gospel reading. one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah not knowing what he said as he was saying these things a cloud came oh sorry came in and overshadowed them and they were afraid and as they entered the cloud or, or sorry as, and and they were afraid as they entered the cloud and as a, and a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my son my chosen one Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Help us now as we look into your word that it might peer into our own hearts. By the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, we began epiphany. ...which can mean appearing or manifestation. Uh, we began Epiphany, the season of Epiphany... ...with, do you remember the event? Jesus' baptism. So we celebrated an actual baptism here. Remember Sasha Lesh? And, and it was a, a glorious day. One where, where we were looking at Jesus... ...and what he was doing for us... ...and then commanding us to do. Because his entire life is, is for us... A commandment, isn't it? It's one that we should follow. If we are following along the way, we're following only the way of Jesus. That's what we do as Christians. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to follow the way of Jesus. And so we began Epiphany this season with the baptism. And now this being the last Sunday of Epiphany, we end it, the church has it us ending with this transfiguration, which in fact has a lot of similarities if you're keenly reading this, to the baptism of Jesus, doesn't it? Did you catch some of those? For instance, instead of going down, he goes up. (laughs) Um, But here he also, all three persons of the Holy Trinity show up. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, And it is a new moment that is happening. Something new is going on. And so we need to, to look carefully... Uh, ...at this text, and it has been looked carefully at... ...because it shows up, interestingly, in all three of the synoptic... ...remember the similar gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, of course, you can take the time to find those different references... ...but it is always after Peter's confession, you are the Christ. Remember, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they talk about that for a little bit. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And we all have to answer that question, don't we? Who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter comes out and says something that only God could have allowed him to know, Jesus says. And that is, you are the Christ. You are Messiah, anointed one, anointed one of the Spirit. After that, Jesus will begin to prophesy his death. He will tell them very clearly and extremely plainly. He will say... I must go to Jerusalem, I will suffer there, and then I will die. Then I'll resurrect. He does this three different times. Most accounts, he's going to do this first prophecy of his death, his passion, and then the transfiguration happens. So it's somehow tied to the fact that now Jesus in his ministry is no longer just doing this sort of public ...healing and preaching to... ...but rather, now his face, we are told... ...is set to Jerusalem. Nothing will deter him from going to the cross. Nothing. Not even Peter's next words, right? Which are going to be... ...hey, I'm not, that's not going to happen to you. We're not going to allow that to happen to you. You know, we conceal carry, right? <laughs> we, have, we have swords and <laughs> daggers... ...and we're, just, we're not going to let that happen, Jesus. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Because the way of the cross is the way of our God. The way of the cross is the Christian life. The way of the cross must be our way, just as it is his way. Now, you may, you may feel like, oh, well, goodness. I hate that, like, John, the Gospel of John, doesn't mention, you know, uh, transfiguration. I mean, that would have been nice if, if he would have just jumped in there, that way, that way we have four accounts of the, of the transfiguration. And I would, again, commend you to go and read each of these accounts today, this being Transfiguration Sunday. Um, but, but I would submit to you <laughs> that John actually, in his very theologically symbolic way, because you remember he, he does things like doesn't mention at the Last Supper, the Last Supper, but he still mentions it sort of. Right? He does this kind of thing. He doesn't mention the baptism directly, but he does mention it kind of theologically and symbolically. This It's just his way. He loves to do that. And if you've ever read the Gospel of John, you know this. You ought to know this at least. Hear these words and think of the transfiguration of Jesus. Because John is there at the scene. He's seeing it. He's hearing it. Here's what he says in John 1. Remember that beautiful intro to his Gospel In the beginning was the word, all of that dropped down a little bit. He says this, and the word became flesh. The logos, knowledge, became flesh. Reason became flesh. You know, by the way, that term logos again, right? That's where we get like biology, the loggy part of biology is, is logos. It's reason. It's understanding. So understanding, reason, logic, The reason behind all things became flesh. Notice his words next. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. (laughs) Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Do you think John had the transfiguration in mind? Sure sounds like it, doesn't it? I mean, what other point do we see so clearly? The heavens opened. Almost as if the transfiguration is this moment where where accidentally, while Jesus is praying... Did you notice that, that the transfiguration is brought about by going up on a mountain to pray? Did you catch that? Like prayer is not some side thing that we do that we get around to when things go bad. No, Jesus says, hey boys, let's go up to the mountain to pray. And as Jesus was praying... Now wouldn't you love to have been the part of that prayer meeting... But you know, I think every prayer meeting that we have, Jesus is praying with us. It's what the scriptures say, isn't it? He ever makes intercession for us. And so as he was praying, boom, all of a sudden, I don't even know if, in my mind, okay, this is, just, this is not the Bible, this is me. <laughs> it's almost as if Jesus is praying so intimately that the heavens and the earth all of a sudden just become one. And all of a sudden, the three disciples are seeing the heavens opened and glory itself being made manifest on this mountain. Whew. As they were praying. Well, here's what he says. John, this is 15, bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, who ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Again, this is John in John 1. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. In other words, nobody's seen God until we have seen Jesus. And doesn't he mention, really, Elijah and Moses there? Because he's actually dealing with Elijah already through John the Baptist, remember? Because when they actually ask him later, what's going on with the whole Elijah first thing? He's going to show up? He's like, yeah, he's already shown up, which means he's the Messiah again. Well, the transfiguration of Jesus obviously being this momentous uh, event. What what does it show us, though? I mean, if we're looking here, what is Christ revealing here? Well, the first thing is light. I mean, that's the most obvious thing that happens here, isn't it? They they go into a deep kind of sleep, uh, much like when, you remember Abraham when he goes into covenant with God? Or technically when God goes into covenant with Abraham? You remember this? He splits the animals in pieces and and then... the Shekinah, as we, as the Hebrew, glory of God shows up in like a smoking pot, fire pot... ...and moves through the middle of the pieces of the animals. What, you remember what Abraham is doing? He falls into a deep sleep. It's almost like it's a dream. But it's real. And I think something similar is happening here... ...when the light of God is so bright that it seems like a dream. It seems as if we're sleeping... Because it's so bright, it's blinding. And so God is light. And of course, remember, that's kind of what John says in his gospel here, which is my point is just all four gospels really mention the transfiguration of Jesus. You have Jesus' shining face like the sun. Again, reminding us of the face of Moses, right? Where he veils it. Because, you know, when you look at the sun, I mean, all of us have accidentally done that. And then I look back over, like the sun's over here. I look at it and then look back over here. Well, your head's going to be nothing. You remember? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just going to be a big blank spot because the image of the sun imprints upon our eyes. I don't know the science behind that, but it does. You can't see anything but that for a bit. So he put a veil over his face. Unveiled here. This is God in the flesh. The whiteness of his garment. Right, ...dazzling white, pure white, again, represented here. And some of the icons that actually the Greek Orthodox use... ...for the transfiguration show behind the scenes a blue type of light. In other words, beyond white, uh, ineffable color... ...because it comes only from God. This light only comes from God... ...which we're told one day will light everything, right? It'll be the only source of light... Oh, don't we need a vision of Jesus? In our world today, don't we need a vision of Jesus? Worn down by the pandemic, now war drums and war at our door and on the TV, on our mobile phones. I mean, we need a vision of the living God. And I think that's what this is about. The transfiguration, he invites them up on a mountain... And don't we have some mountaintop experiences in our life? We should, right? All of us should have some moments that help define who we are. In fact, if I were just to ask you about your life, you kind of, in your mind's eye, you look back and you can see the mountain peaks. You don't see everything, but you see like the highlights. I mean, if I ask you about your life, I don't want to know every little thing. I'm wanting to really kind of the... The mountain peak experience is like, what, you know, why am I with Jessica? Well, I can bring you to that mountain. I can bring you that point. I can bring you to the very place where it happened. In my dad's house as I was praying and striving. And I thought to myself, well, this is it. Like, this is going to happen. I was by myself praying. I'll never forget it. Went over and looked in a mirror, you know, and then boom, it was like the Lord said, Yeah. You can do this. And I said, well, I can do this. Next thing I know, boom, I'm down on one knee, you know, doing the whole thing, right? Well, I can take you to that mountain, that momentous moment where this happened. In our walk with God, we should have mountaintop experiences. He will oftentimes invite us up just for a moment to see a little clearer You know, because that's kind of the whole point with a mountain scene, isn't it? In the valley, you're limited in sight. But on a mountain, oh, man, you can see for days, right? You know, there's this company, Kavu, which means clear above visibility, unlimited. In other words, there's no obstructions now. You're up on top of the world, and you can see as far as the eye can see. And, you know, we need that kind of thing in our life, don't we? I mean, after waging war down in the valley, after climbing uphill or climbing down, or going downhill. I mean, did you know that downhill is kind of just as bad as uphill when you're hiking? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, man, we're finally going downhill. It's like, well, that uses a whole other muscle group that's about to get uh, ripped up. It's both hard on both ways, uphill and downhill in this journey. But the Lord gives us these moments... He invites us up to see something out in the future. And I think that's what's going on here with the transfiguration. The Lord is inviting Peter, James, and John to see something beyond what they can see. A moment of glory. You know, tomorrow is 23 years from a mountaintop experience in my own life. February 28th. Happened in 1999, around 8.30 at night. And this is a moment that, for me, has defined my whole life. In other words, I stand before you today because of this mountaintop experience. And I would dare say that I can speak, I know, for my brother here, who who feels the same way about that night. And it has defined both of us. Because the spirit was so heavy in this place. At a youth retreat, uh, of all places, in a cafeteria, on the cafeteria floor, everyone was down and there was a heaviness in the room. So heavy that even if you wanted to stand up, you wouldn't be able to. Now you don't have to believe me about this kind of experience because I know it firsthand. No one could stand up, and no one was standing up. And this is, it it wasn't coordinated. It wasn't like everybody said, hey, everybody get on the ground here. (laughs) And then there was a moment where it was like the wind blew. And then everybody jumps up and is shouting and joyful and loving. You know, inevitably at youth camps and movements of God in revivals, the first thing to always happen is love. It's always love. You just all of a sudden find a lot of love that you didn't have before that you do now. And you know, we need these defining moments. And I think this was a gift to Peter, James, and John that they then shared with us, right? And you know, our mountaintop experience can be a gift to others as well to encourage them in the faith. Don't we need encouragement? I know I do. Let's keep going. Fighting the good fight is hard. Well, ...we see God as light, we also see that the Father bears witness to his Son from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Now, this is not the first time he said this, right? At the baptism, he says this exact thing, doesn't he? So the cloud moves in, which is the Holy Spirit. So the cloud represents the pillar of cloud in the Old Testament, remember? And you know, the thing about, like, being in a dense cloud is you can't see anything else. And I think that's kind of the point, isn't it? When God moves in close, you can't see anything else. Remember what Paul just said in that scripture, uh, memory verse? Think on these things that are good and pure. And when you're thinking about God, when God is so clouding your life, that's all you can think about. But is that what we think about? Or do we let the things of this world cloud our judgment? Sadden our hearts? Someone prayed a moment ago. I think it was Bob in our in our prayer time before service. There's a lot to worry about, but Jesus commands that we don't worry. Instead, what do we do? Now that seems like weakness, when an army's rolling in, when social media's rolling in on us, when bad things are happening, or a pen. But listen, friends, I get it. I I feel all those things, totally aware of it, like you are. We're commanded not to worry, not to be anxious, but to pray in all things. Does that look like you're weak? Is that how your week panned out? Or did you fly off the handle? Do we freak out? We're supposed to pray. This happens. Clarity of vision happens when we pray. <clears throat> well, <laughs> all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are here, right? Which is so interesting, isn't it? I mean, here, here's two. And, and I mean, we, look, we wrestled with this at our, um, at our small group, you know, because we I always kind of do some prep. If I'm preaching, I'm like, all right, let's do this. Y'all help me understand this passage, right? At at my small group for lunch on Wednesdays at 1130, you're invited. Um, And so we wrestled with this. And and it's like, why Moses and Elijah? You know, like, did they get the... We kind of came up with this. Like, did they get the VIP card, you know? Like, to go behind the scenes and meet meet with the, the man himself? Whereas the others didn't? Like, what about Moses and Elijah? And it's interesting, I've kind of gone, gone back, guys, since that point. And, and it seems as if Moses represents the law, of course, right? So he's given the law. By the way, on a mountain. You remember this? So also on a mountain, he's given the law. It's where his face starts to shine. But he also represents those who have died, the church says. He represents all those who are dead in Christ, meaning asleep in Christ, Right? They've gone, they've departed. Whereas Elijah represents the prophets, who, by the way, remember Elijah when he runs away, do you remember this? When he gets discouraged, where does he go? Mount Sinai. He goes back to where God had spoken. You know, that's kind of maybe a playbook for us. When you don't know what to do, go back to where God has spoken. Go back to the word. Go back to prayer. Go back to your brothers and sisters who want you to grow in Christ. Who, don't want, who want to support you and, and, and help you to strengthen the feeble and the weak. So, he represents all those who are still living. So, both the living and the dead, both the law and the prophets are all culminating, all being fulfilled ...in Jesus Christ in this moment. It's all being drawn together because guess what? All things hold together, what? In Christ. We also see very clearly here in the transfiguration... ...the Holy Trinity, God himself, the Father speaking from heaven... ...and the pillar of cloud, whereas before we get the dove, now we get the cloud. Nonetheless, it's this baptism of the Spirit mentality here... ...which is what all of us are called to, to be baptized in God's Holy Spirit. Baptized with water? Absolutely. But also baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, what kind of mountaintop experiences could you share this week with someone... There's a lot of people that are depressed. There's a lot of people that are hurting. There's a lot of people worried. Don't you think, looking back at God's faithfulness in your own life, do you know his faithfulness? Has he been faithful? Has he done something that you say, absolutely, unequivocally, I'm assured that was God? Because I think the transfiguration is given to assure them. He's about to go to the cross. Their whole world is about to blow up. And before he does, he says, let me show you something. Come up here with me. Do you have moments like that that you can put down as anchors, put a flag in the ground? If not, friend, guess what? God wants to create those. He wants to invite you up. Come on up here with me. If you do have those moments, revisit that today. Just in your own time, Re- revisit that moment and say, Lord, wow. I mean, I'm thinking 23 years. I mean, we, we could reminisce about it. 23 years. Of my- I was completely like what I was then. <laughs> I was 17 years old, guys. You think I'm bad now, huh? You don't like some of the things I do now. It's like, man, you, sh- you really wouldn't want to know me at 17. This dude's had to bear it all, all the way through wonder he still likes me. 23 years of following Jesus and him changing my life. But I still look at those moments. And I've had some since then, by the way. Like, I, I've got a couple more I could share, but this is a big one just because it's tomorrow for me, right? I have it in my calendar. It says, anniversary with Jesus. It repeats every year. Anniversary with Jesus. And everybody knows it. That is very close to me. And, and it's... it's um, do you have an experience of God like that? We need to experience him. It's not enough to know who he is in our head. We must experience him in our heart. And that day, and since that time, my heart has grown for him. I, you know, it's, I don't even know really how to explain other than to use my own wife as kind of an illustration of this is just like we get these moments where I look at her and I think like wow she's more than I ever thought. Like I you know, I had this idea of her when when I met her, you know what I mean? And and it's like now that we're how far are we along? <laughs> Eighteen now, almost? Yeah. It's like I I, I know her Just so much more, but there's so much more to know. It's not because we just sit around studying each other all day. That's weird, right? (laughs) God is not asking us just to stay in this room, guys, and just sit here and, yeah, let's just study more. No, we experience him through serving I experience even Jessica's love through me going to work and then me working for her and helping her and her helping me. And, 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 and that means sometimes we're separated for long periods of time. I'm off on a trip or either she has to go do something. That's the way it works. You, you see, we're, we're, we cannot stay on the mountain. We, don't, we, we enjoy these mountain experiences. We love being able to see just as far, wow, I get it now, it makes all sense. But we got to go back down. He says, All right, guys. You know, Peter's like, Hey, man, dude, let's stay here. This is it. And I remember thinking on you know, February 28, I was like, We got to just stay here. And then you know what we tried to do, being as young as we were? We tried to replicate that once we got back to dad's church. And that was a disaster. And you're mad at everybody else because you're like, Well, why don't you feel like this about God? You know? It inevitably happens. No, we don't try to hold on to it, we thank God for it, plant the flag. Thank you, Jesus. Let's march on. Let's keep going. Because we're going somewhere, friends. We're not not going to stay on that mountain. That mountain's pointing to the mountain of God that we're all going to. And when we get to that point, both the living and the dead will be summed up in him. Because he's the savior of both, I tell you. Will you journey with Jesus this week? He's asking you to. Maybe you're at a point where he's like, hey, come on up. It's time for you to be shown the mountain, you know. Or maybe you're deep in the valley. I've been, Listen, I just came out of a time where I was deep in the valley. I mean, deep in the valley. I thought, I mean, I was in Sheol. I was down. I I, I just thank God. Just every day, you know, and I know this is, you know. It'll, this this also will only last so long because I'll be back down in the valley or up on a mountain. I mean, we're all over the place, aren't we? If we're honest, we're all over the place. That's all right. He's the God of all our emotions, isn't He? Maybe you're walking in the valley. Here's what matters: is that He's with us. <laughs> that He's in our midst. <laughs> No matter if we're on the mountain or or down in the valley. Listen, you could be up there thinking you're on the valley. Oh, I'm praising God. And then he's already going down. Don't miss him. He's going right back down. In fact, uh, I truncated the reading today. I only gave you part of it. There's an interesting part that's actually added where, where, where Jesus says, Let's go, guys. Let's go back down. And guess what he finds down there? They're, the disciples are struggling to, to get this demon out of a man. You remember this story? And, and they're like, the, the guy's dad is like, Jesus, fuck, thank you. Goodness, these guys have been wrestling to get this demon out. And Jesus is like, Oh, ye a little faith. Goodness, how much longer I got to be with you to hold your hand to trust me? And he dismisses the demon. The point is, that story is added, I think, on purpose because guess what, friend? There is work to be done. We are not to live on the mountain. We go down where the people are, down to the lowest point. And there's a lot of low people today. And we have a message. We ought to have a vision of God that is greater than us, that propels us into and down into people's lives. We are to be witnesses, as Peter, James, and John are. You know, Paul, St. <laughs> uh, Paul, that is, um, in Second Corinthians, we read it already, but now let's revisit it in light of the transfiguration real quick. Since then, we have such a hope we act with great boldness not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the people from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside he goes on to say therefore since it is God's it is by God's mercy we are to engage in ministry this is language here engage in ministry to not lose heart And then guess what? To renounce shameful things. Now here we are. we've, we've, We've done the whole epiphany thing, right? We've carried you through a whole manifest sermon series. We started with the baptism, ending with the transfiguration. And Paul's words to us as we move toward Ash Wednesday, which will be this Wednesday, is this, renounce the shameful things. Because we have seen the Lord. If you've seen the Lord, you know that the things of this word world don't even pale in comparison. You see, it's not. Bruce has been reminding me of this. It's not about just giving up things, but seeking what is higher and better. It's not that all those things are bad. Eating's great. I love eating, but you know what? Some of us need to pull back, not because we're overweight, but because there's something better. If you're doing a Lenten fast because you're trying to lose weight, you got it wrong. We're giving up food at times. We're giving up entertainment. We're giving up our normalcy for a period of time. Forty days, in fact. Because there's something greater. Because we've seen something greater, and we're not going to forget about it. I mean, this was the whole purpose of Tabernacles, right? The Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to go ahead and live in a tent... Even though i got a nice house, I'm going to live outside for a little bit to remember. And don't we need to remember? I want to say this lastly about the transfiguration. When the father speaks, he adds something here, and that is, listen to him. Did you catch that? This is my son. Listen to him. To him. Now, interestingly, Peter's sitting there saying, Hey, we should build today. And he says it as he is saying that. So he's correcting Peter. Poor Peter, you know. But we're Peter in a lot of ways, aren't we? We misunderstand. We misunderstand. That's all right. God just moves on through helping us along, teaching us his ways, but he says, Listen to him. Why? Because this is the new Sinai. You know, Luke starts off this passage with a new creation. By saying on the eighth day, he brought him up. Remember, I told you that eighth day thing? Seven days is a complete week, right? What does the eighth day mean? Oh, it means it's a new week. It's a Sunday, it's today. And we have a new opportunity before us for God to do something new in our life. He also introduces here that this is the new Moses, greater and better, and a new Sinai. You remember what he gave him on Sinai? The Shema. Deuteronomy 6, you remember Jews even to this day still say the Shema multiple times a day, which is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your, remember this, right? That's the Shema. Why is it called the Shema? Because Shema is Hebrew. It's a a Hebrew word meaning hear, listen. That's what it means. And he begins, hear, O Israel, listen, O Israel. Now this is not just a passive listening like, oh yeah, I heard you. Like I've said before, it's more like the thing with when I was a kid, daddy would say, hey, uh, clean your room. And I'd be up there playing my Nintendo, you know. I'd be like, gotcha, I hear you." Three hours later, the room is not clean. I told you to clean your room. Did you not, what, hear me? What do we mean by that? We mean obey. Did you not hear me? Because if you heard me, You would obey. You would obey. Do you hear the voice of Jesus in your life? Are you obeying his voice? Listen to him. You know, with all that's going on in the world, we need hope. Faith, most of us have faith in this room. Love, we're all working at it, right? He's filling us, we're using it. That's the way it works. Hope is something that is hard to get, especially when things are bad, isn't it? Can I say that things are bad? (laughs) Like for our time, things are bad. Things are bad. It's not good. I could bore you with a bunch of statistics right now, but the decline of the church, war, the twisting of the Word of God. It's all kind of things that are just really bad. Pandemic, not to even mention the pandemic. You know, there's this painting that I, that I got, and Matt Friedman was the impetus of this, but in the painting it shows this, this woman, and she's blindfolded, which when you're hopeless, you know, you can't see anything. Everybody else can see what's good in your life, but you can't. You ever been there? They're trying to say, hey, you got this going on for you that's good. And you can't see it. Not when you're hopeless. She's blindfolded and she's got a lyre, which is like a harp. There's only one string on it. And it's dark behind her. It's just a dreary sort of painting. But the title of the painting is actually called Hope. Because she does have one string left. And then if you look real close at the painting, there's... There's a star in the night sky. And it just always reminds me of the hope. And I've shared it before, but it reminds me of hope because there's still light shining, friend. The light still shines in the darkness. And the darkness will never comprehend it. But we are holders of the light. And we all, even if we just have one string, are going to do our best we at this church are going to do our best with whatever God gives us to continue playing until we just can't anymore. He's among us. He's calling you, He's calling me. And He's calling us to be faithful, to lift up the brokenhearted. There's work to be done. Will you do it this week? I pray you will in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.